Hey, what's up, everyone? Hope all is well with everyone. Hope everyone is staying safe and healthy and sound throughout this time, especially with the uptick in the cases of COVID. Um, the most important person you should look out for is yourself. Um, today, I bring you episode four of the Blurp Presents Founder Stories, hosted by myself, Daryl Lawson, the co-founder and CEO of Blurp. And today, I have the pleasure to interview my fellow Livingstone Blue Bear alum, Emmanuel George, he is an education turnaround expert. He started out as a teacher in middle school, elementary school, then did some um, founding principal opportunities with some charter schools in Harlem, USA. Um, he worked as assistant superintendent, executive director of some schools, and now he's turning around another school again in Harlem. So he's been in the education field for over 20 years. Um, great guy, man. I call him the modern day Joe Clark. And um, now, without further ado, Emmanuel George, man, welcome. Hey, what's up, man? How are you? I'm all right, man. Glad to get you on the show, man. Thanks a lot for having me. No, glad to, glad to get you there, man. You know, we need to see more black male educators, period. And I'm glad I was able to get you on the podcast so we can learn about your journey in the education field, what kept you there, and what's your mission and journey. So we're going to get into, the, get into that a little bit today. So for those that don't know you, tell us a little bit about who you are, man, where you're from, you know, what do you like? You know, just a little bit of everything about Emmanuel George. Um, I grew up, I was born in Brooklyn. I grew up in Hempstead, New York on Long Island. I'm proud Tiger, graduated high school in 1995. Um, started off my education at Hosh University, transferred to Livingstone College, um, majored in elementary education. When I was at Livingstone, I was part of something called the Center for Teaching Excellence. And that was a um, scholarship, full academic scholarship program that was designed to get black men into the classroom. I think that's something that I've always wanted to be a teacher because my mom was an educator as well. She worked in, in our hometown district for over 25 years. So it's something that I've always wanted to do. Um, started off teaching in Greensboro, North Carolina, Thomasville, North Carolina, as an um, elementary school reading teacher. Came back to Long Island, taught for a couple of years, transferred over to the city and mainly taught science for the last five years of my educational career. Um, and I've been in school leadership since 2010 as a principal, assistant superintendent, um, senior director of school solutions, executive director of some of a couple of schools in, in the Bronx. Um, outside of school, I think, I think one thing I've learned is to maintain balance. So I think a couple of things is like, maintaining close friendships with people that I grew up with, spending time with my family, yep. friends that I've made since I've like gotten into education and taking care of myself. Obviously we all have hobbies outside of school. I love to watch documentaries, love sports, yep. um, you know, just the basic things. Being a dad, I think that's the most important thing is to being a father, making sure that my son is well taken care of and you know, we get the great amount of time together, family time, all those things, so. Try to keep it, uh, the one thing I've learned is that you have to have a balance. You can't just be all one thing. And there's a clear difference between who you are and what you do. You have to make sure that you that you water both of those seeds consistently. So, And that, and that actually helps me be a better professional, being a better person. So that's something that I've kind of taken, make sure I've maintained over time. Nah, man, that's that, that's dope, man. See, you said something that's very underrated of separating your personal life and your professional life. You know, 
I know everything was so intertwined today with merging the two, but the fact that you're able to separate it, man, you're kind of ahead of the game. You know, even at times I'm still somewhat struggling with that. And we will get into that in our work-life balance question where, I, um, you know, you can drill down a little bit more on how do you balance separating your personal and your professional life. Um, but the question I want to um, get into next is how do you, um, how, what made you want to get into the education field? I think for me, there was a couple of things. One, like I said, my mom was an educator for 25 years. She taught pre-taught pre-kindergarten. But outside of that, um, there's I was raised in a household where we always like the idea of social justice mm-hmm. and social inequities is something that we talked about pretty often. So the idea of social justice, so to speak, is something that was kind of drilled into me. And I think it's funny, my two older brothers who are, both have experience in education one has a um, he's a general in the army but he got a master's in education because he thought about like taking that route yeah. and my other brother taught PE in the Bronx for a year before he got into where he is now a computer so yeah. we always had a, a thing about education and it's something that I just I, it, it's just a part of who I am as a person I think I've always I started off like wanting to work with my mom's kids which when, when she was a teacher working with four-year-olds so that's something that just pretty much stuck with me over time. And I think over time, I've like the idea around the importance of education changed, even though I like looked at it from different vantage points, but you know, that's just, it's just the way I was raised and quite frankly, foundational to what I believe in as a person. Nah, that's real, man. Your mom sound like, you know, she had a real good wielding, exper- wielding experience on you, man, making sure you stayed on that right track, man. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, good to hear and it's commendable. Um, so now to build upon that, um, just talk a little bit more about your journey from teaching into administration, you know, throughout your career. I think for me, when I, when I first got into teaching, I didn't want to get into administration. And I think it was something that I just, I was just going to teach for 30 years and then get the retirement pension and move to Florida, sit on, sit on. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was pretty, that was pretty, I was going to go to Fort Lauderdale and sit in the backyard, hopefully you get a boat. Like I really had no, boat. <laughs> no real, like, like I had no real sight for it. And right. I think, so I, like the one thing that I saw like over time is that, First of all, when I, I'm always open with the staff, even the staff that I work with now, it's like I was a terrible teacher when I first started. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that I own. I was not good. And yep. it took me a year and a half to really get good. So I, I wanted to, first, I just wanted to be a good teacher. And like, so I knew that like, there's a, a, a strong amount of practice and study that goes into that. And then once I became a good teacher, I saw that like, okay, there's limitations to what you can actually do. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, you can, be a good teacher in your classroom, but things around you may not be ideal. Right. So what do you do? You want to grow and become a principal. You know what I'm saying? So then I was lucky enough to um, be a principal, a founding principal of a school called Democracy Prep Harlem and um, in New York from 2010 to 2013. And I think for me, that was, that was like, it was equivalent to like my teenage years. It was like carefree. I had an outstanding staff amazing staff many of them are still like I consider like peers and friends to this day mm-hmm. um I, I learned how to lead because I was surrounded by people who 
quite frankly, were outstanding. So it, it like it forced. I was like a. It's like the NBA equivalent of a rookie head coach, right? With like a lot of good players, mm-hmm. and and I learned just some like some key lessons. I I was in a situation where I, I earned the right to be assistant superintendent of democracy press middle schools for around eight months, nine months. And I learned structures. Like I learned the idea of how to take multiple schools and put things in place to make sure that they all run a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I think that was something that, um, that, that was really good for me to st- it's still to see some of those structures in place seven yeah. years later. And I think, but I think to me, the most foundational work that I've done in education, I'm proud of self is I, I was offered a position within Democracy Prep. There was a school called Bronx Preparatory Charter School. Mm-hmm. And it was a school that was, it was a middle school, high school combination that was slated to get closed by the state. And I came, it's, it's, it's kind of like, like the stuff that you see in a movie, like yeah. when you see like a bad school, the kids didn't fight, but like everything else was right. pretty, you know, it was a lot of work to be done. And I think in, I worked directly with the school for four years and then indirectly for another year with the leaders of the middle school and high school. And I right. saw like how you can take a situation that's not ideal and make mm-hmm. it make it really work. And you can see gains and you can see, you can coach leaders yep. to, to really have impact on teachers who can then have impact on kids. And you can see the growth and you can see like, the colleges that kids were getting into, like the, yeah. the rise in the SAT scores, mm-hmm. the rise in the middle school test scores, like the fact that the school like kind of came together, like, right. and then we we're able to do like some really cool things there. Like, like one of the years there, we had a Central Park Five, three members of the Central Park Five come speak mm-hmm. at their graduation. Nice. Like to me, that's like, to me, that it was right after Trump got elected. So that was kind of like, you know, yeah. and it's something that, we it was really just uh, just a foundational experience that kind of like it was like food for the soul. It was really hard work, and, sure, but it was sure. really like you could see like how you can over, over time just really turn a school in the opposite direction, and it, and kind of like spawn like a whole lot of ideas I had around like education, how it works. I was able to do some traveling and work with some schools, particularly in Arkansas, which was a really Arkansas. cool experience. Mm. Yeah. It was, Really good, really good people. And the school I work at now, where it was, you know, some some work needed to be done to do some repairing, but like the staff that I work with, I, I have a credible amount of respect and admiration for them. And I, I mean, so it's like, and and you see them and they want to grow and get better than they are. And I think right. that you see how you can really like take a school that was going in one way Yep. And you can move it in another direction and you can see the impact that it can have on the adults and that work with kids and the kids themselves. And you just want to just, and I think that's just a really, I'm really happy that I have taken that path because you can see like the, the, the real work in education is just providing opportunities for kids and supporting those who support kids. And I think right. that's something that I've learned over the years. And it's just like, I've been fortunate enough to look at education from multiple, from multiple vantage points. And it's right. something I'm really, I'm really thankful for, honestly. Nah, that's awesome, man. It sounds like you really learned a lot. You really got a holistic experience from the educational side to the administrative side. 
but I want you to drill. I want you to drill a little bit more on your transition from being a teacher to being an administrator. Because, like for example, did you go to graduate school? Did you do any um, internship? Did you do any apprenticeship? Did you have to like um, serve under a principal? You know, just kind of share some of your journey that that transition. Because I think folks out here, you know, they're teaching. They may feel like you. I want to make change. They go get a master's in education. They may not know where to get the master's in, or they get the master's, but they're told they got to teach for a few more years, and that dream may not happen. So just kind of share a little bit about your personal transition and some good tips for those who want to make that transition too. I think for me, one, I got a, um, I got a master's degree in, edu in educational administration, mm -hmm. and I think from College of New Rochelle. And I think to me, it was that was a foundational part because I, my professors, even though College of New Rochelle is not like Harvard or Johns Hopkins, anything sure. like that, it was my professors were all current administrators. Sure. So, and I think in a lot of cases, there was a lot of practical knowledge that was just drilled into my head that I, I used almost instinctively. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because it was just like a part of who you are. Like, for example, we like we had one of my professors talked about adult culture on your staff and you can't mm. move, you can't move the culture of a school unless you move the culture of your staff right mm. now that's something and we talked about ways to what do you do as a leader and the one thing i remember saying is that he said you're paid to see the things that other people can't yet mm. And I remember saying like, but you have to make that, you have to make your vision their vision. And that's something that I found myself repeating, especially when I was leading the turnaround of Bronx Prep. It was like, my job is to see the things that you can't see yet. And I will always say, when I would coach the leaders there, if you do A, B is gonna happen. If you do B, C is gonna happen. And, and, it, and then when I'm right, and more often than not, they go, dang, you know, so I think, that was the foundational piece. I think the practice, the experience that I got is that I ran programs within schools before I ran a school. Uh -huh. So even though I got my degree and I had to teach for a couple of years after, I think a year and a half after, I ran programs within the school. So uh -huh. I ran summer schools, uh -huh. I ran Saturday academies, I ran after school test prep. So all the components of leadership that that are that are that seem to be instinctive, I have practiced doing it. I had to make sure everybody got paid on time. I yeah. had to make sure all the paperwork was done. I had to give feedback to people. Mm -hmm. I had to give corrective performance performance reviews for people who aren't doing their jobs well. Right. I had to make sure that, like, if I ran a summer school, that kid showed up. I had to make. I, I had to be aware about not just, hey, kids come in the building and they just do stuff. It was, you have to make sure that the school runs smoothly, that they're, that all your bases are covered, who's taking attendance, what happened if a kid messes up, are they gonna eat, <laughs> when, where, why, how, where are the schedules, how do you communicate with parents before, like all these little things that you don't really think about as right. a leader, but I had so much practice in it, by the time, I had a school myself. I had, I felt confident in myself, even though I was highly nervous because sure. this is the first time that like my name is on it. So mm -hmm. the, the one thing that I would, the one thing that I would 
piece of advice that I pass on to people that is trying to step into leadership is that there's a difference when your name is on it. Mm. Like if you are someone who is like the grade level chair, like I was a few times, or you're the department chair, like I was once, or if you're running a Saturday school, you, you, you're responsible for things, but ultimately you're, you're not really responsible because there's somebody else who you report to, you give the summer school information to, or right. you pass the attendance to, and they have to take care of it. And they're accountable to like mm -hmm. the board or whatever the case may be. It's different when your name is on it. It's different mm -hmm. when you don't, it's different when everything is on you and you don't have a peer yep. because you can't complain down, which again is something I learned in grad school. So you can't mm -hmm. like, nobody's gonna care about your feelings because you get paid more than everybody else. So if you're going through a tough time at home, if, if your kid is sick or whatever, you're not getting the sympathy that you got when you were like a mid-level leader or somebody on a rise. Like regardless of what's happening, you have to paint on a face and you have to stand in front of your staff. You have to stand in front of your parents. You have to stand in front of your kids and whatever's going on inside, nobody really, nobody could tell. Right. You know what I'm saying? Nobody can tell. So I think that's something that like, you know, that's something that you, that's, that's something that really like the school takes the character of your affect. Mm -hmm. So if you're someone that's kind of cool, kind of calm, kind of collected, the school kind of takes that feel. If you're kind of running around all over the place, yelling, screaming, then everybody's going to be on edge. So right. like, you know, so it's like, for example, the one thing that I always, when I was at Bronx prep, um, Every year that I worked at Bronx Prep, someone that was foundational to me as a person passed away. Mm. Every year there was there was a parent, a big brother, a, somebody that was foundational in some way, shape, or form mm. to my development, just as a human being, right. passed away. And I couldn't take, like I had to find that place to grieve so that I was okay when I went into school right. the next day or after I heard the news or mm. whatever the case may be. So like those things happen and you can't, you, you, you have to, you have to find when everything is on you, you have to find that place to be okay inside right. because the way you are is what everybody else is going to be. And that's something that is because it's all on you. It's all on your shoulders. Man, yo, big ups to the College of New Rochelle. Sounds like I should have got a master's in administration back in the day to prepare me for my business career because it sounds like they gave you some real good lessons that a lot of us, you know, should be learning and should be implementing in our careers, whether that's business, whether that's education, whether that's arts and entertainment. Like, you got some informative training, man, and some real hands-on training that's, like, priceless. And now... I see how come you've been so successful and been a change agent in the education field. Like, you know, just the practical fact that the whole empathy concept of people are not going to have empathy for you um, if something goes wrong and you're leading the school or you're leading the program, like you got to have that full accountability. And the fact that you were able to get that at such a young age to prepare you in your future, 
yo, that's dope, man. A lot of grad programs, you know, should have more practical stuff. And I think like the biggest, the biggest schools do, but like, that's awesome, man. You know, much respect and shout out to the College of New Rochelle. So for those who are educators out there and, um, and maybe they have an online program now that um, the world is on lockdown still with COVID, you know, check out the College of New Rochelle if you're in the education field and you want to get into the administration part of it, because it sounds like they really prepare their future leaders for success. So thanks for yeah. sharing. Thanks for sharing yeah, that I, was, I felt really prepared. And like, it was almost like stuff would always happen with staff. And like an inverse, it's like, yeah. you have to, nobody's going to have empathy for you, but you have to have empathy for everybody else. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's, so it's, it's it, and we learned that, we drilled that, we practiced that. And it was something that, you know, came, came to play. It's, quite frankly, still does. College of New Rochelle, people. Check that school out if you're in the education field. See if they got an online program. And if you're trying to get into that, next level of the education administrative aspect check it out all right man so we're gonna move on man so with your outstanding education career up to this point what were some of the top career milestones since you've been in education like did you win any awards or any acknowledgements um i a couple of awards i think one was i was one of the like new york city principals of the year from the harvard club in like 2012 i think that that was award i was like um principal of the week or something like that for DNA info and like I think 2011 I think to me speaking early I think going into Bronx Preparatory Charter School from 2014 to 2018 is is the most is quite frankly besides like getting married having a kid you know being a good son you know it's, right. it's probably the most important thing that I've done as an adult and I think for me because it it tied into how I was raised it tied in how I was raised with how I've been trained. Like the idea of uplifting your own, going into communities that are distressed and doing some active work around it and using the training that you get, you got. So it, it, to me, I think that was to in order to achieve those ends, I think to me that was the I still look at it this day as like, that's the most influential thing that I'll probably do. I th the current work that I do now is, is something that I'm very proud of as well, but the school, you know, had some real areas of improvement, but I think it wasn't in a, the, the place where like the state was gonna close it. Right. You know what I'm saying? It, within five years, it's like a ranked charter high school in New York state. I think it was like 15, something like that. Hmm. But it's also saying, so I think, and you see, to me, that 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 experience was transformative to me. One, because I was able to grow and develop leaders who are still running the school now. Um, to just the impact on some of the staff members who like come back and like, yeah, remember that stuff that you said in like 2014? You were right. <laughs> you know, so, and you see those things all yeah. the time. But most importantly, is like you see just kids like like kids hit me up on linkedin <laughs> like oh, wow <laughs> you know <laughs> like kids that you saw like really struggling at one point in time in school and now they're like about to graduate from stony brook binghamton yeah. williams wesley and they're going to really good schools and you remember what it was like what they were like when you got there which was like let's just get them to go to class. You know what I'm saying? Right, so right, you, right. See, you see 
that. And you see like, as that was part of something where it's like, there's a social responsibility that you have as a black leader. Mm -hmm. And, and I felt like I did my, I did the right thing socially as a black man to go into a school that needed some real work done and to get it done and to still have other people that are there now building upon it and, and still being able to go back and garner respect from people that were there from when I was there. Awesome. So now well, I want to, so I want you to touch upon that social responsibility that a black man should be doing for his community. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit more? Cause in this time of everything going on and a lot of racial unrest and folks trying to figure out where they fit in, what they should do, how could they help, you know, you know, talk about, you know, the black man's responsibility being socially responsible in his community or where, or where he's being a leader at. Just kind of talk about that a little bit as it pertains to you. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm not, I'm not Al Sharpton, right? I'm not going to lead a party. <laughs> no. You know what I'm saying? That's just, that's not my lane. I'm not Barack Obama and will never be nowhere close. Right. The one thing that I can do is I can put together and create schools and train teachers that can help kids improve their life, their lot in life, right? And I think as an educator, we, as, as black men and women, you know, Latina men and women, whatever the case may be, we're, we're a lot of times we're tasked to work in communities where like the script for you is already written, mm. right? The script, if you live in a certain zip code, your school's gonna look this way, your teacher's gonna look this way, it's gonna be disorganized, less materials, less resources. We'll get a couple of kids that kind of get out and, and we'll like, oh, look at you know, Jerome, Jerome is going to Columbia, then like, the rest of the class is like not even barely graduating and half of me reading on grade level. Right. But when you get to a place where I think once you get to a point where you're lucky enough to have, I'm lucky enough to have, my mom went to Harvard law school. You know what I'm saying? My brother yeah. went to, my brother went to West Point. You know what I'm saying? And graduated. You know what I'm saying? My mom was one of the first black women to graduate from Harvard law school. You know, she was an educator, mm. but she, you know what I'm saying? So, but she still like after she left education, she she dipped in and, and studied her craft and her field. And I'm lucky enough to have I won the Gene Pool Olympics. You know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Gene Pool Olympics, yeah. So I'm I like I started off in a certain way on second base. Sure. And a lot of and a lot of our and I'm no better or no worse than a lot of our kids are in terms of where I was at 16, 17 years old. I just had people that rode me and I, I came from a community that supported me, you know, and I had people outside of my household, people's families, you know, church environments that supported me. So mm -hmm. I had expectations. All I had to do was just not screw up. Right. And a lot of kids don't weren't lucky enough to have what I have. So what I had growing up, I took advantage of it and I worked hard, but it would have been hard for me to fail. Right. I would have to try to fail. You know right. what I'm saying? So, and I feel like because of that, you go backwards and you give, if you in a position to give, you you provide those opportunities so that somebody else could beat your lot in life. Yep. So you have other kids that are going to school. Like I remember as a conversation with a young lady, she's going to Wesleyan now. I think she's she'd be a junior. Yep. I remember convincing her to apply to go to Wesleyan 
She was like, if I don't, if I don't go to Duke, I'm going to shave my hair off and go to the army. I'm like, why don't you just go to Wesley when they're paying you to go to school. They're, they're going to pay you to go to school for free. They, you, all you got, you're going to get paid a couple of hundred thousand dollars. Just do your homework. Yep. Like, and just to do your homework and study. What you going to do for anyway, they're going to pay you for it. Yep. And to see this young lady come back, she's going to graduate college in another year or so, debt-free. You know what I'm saying? Debt-free. You're not, you can start, you, that's a head start from a, from a, with the, with the degree in a university that is well-known. Yep. You're going to start off life on second base too. So you got to provide those opportunities. And I think a lot of times as educators, we don't, we get caught so much in like, oh, theories and this and that, and this, and this is, no, what, what do you do practically every day to ensure that the kids that are in your school can get to a place where they can better themselves. And I think that's our responsibility. And sometimes, and it's our responsibility as leaders of color to, to set up those environments where that can actually happen. And I think that's something that's that, and that's why I felt really strongly about Bronx Prep because it was, it was a school where that pathway wasn't clear, but then it got clear. And I think that's why I'm infinitely private because it it goes back to where I started. The school that middle school I started was great, but I I mean honestly I had I started off swinging hitting home runs because I had a great staff and I learned how to lead with a great staff that was talented and everything from the jump. They they and I knew some of them. I taught with some of them in other places, so it was yeah. like it was a collective there. Here, you know you kind of by yourself you yeah. know so you have to build that community and again but that community's output is strong kids mm-hmm. and that's our social responsibility right man that's well said man i i haven't heard an eloquent response like that in a very long time man so it's just about reaching back pulling others forward creating an environment where folks can be successful now i love it man you keep doing what you're doing man so now we're going to pivot into innovation and education in COVID. So with COVID-19 happening, how does the impact teachers that are preparing to teach students and educate students now? Like, like, like what is that looking like? I've heard different stories of, you know, parents homeschooling or the teachers delivering curriculum to the kids besides teaching online. Like what's going on with all of that? I think there's so many, I think this is where education this is this there's the expression like necessities of mother invention yeah. like this this is a sad time in society because of where we are but this is an informative time in education because you're in a, there's a, plenty of room for innovation i think what teaching looks like in online good online teaching shrinks the virtual, the intellectual distance between kid and teacher. What that means is that there are a couple of things that you want to do consistently in a virtual classroom. Number one, you got to set up, you, sorry to say this, but you got to set your Zoom settings to ensure that you know, <laughs> you got to do that. Yeah. You got to do that. And that's, and that's a reality because, you know, kids are going to be kids. And you got to make sure that those disruptions don't happen. You got to know how to run a break room. You got to know when to put kids in in, 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 the, in the break room. You got to know who to let in. Do they have a verified email? 
You got to know to set your codes up so you can take attendance mm. automatically. Like those things, so you don't disrupt the instruction. Those are the things that you you have to do on the back end. That's the foundational part, right? You you had to do that. Like you could have planned the greatest lessons in the world, but if this you don't you can't control your room, it's a waste of time because mm. the kids are going to destroy your room. Um, then you have to make sure a couple of there's just a couple of go-to things. Number one. You have to, when you say shrink the intellectual distance, you're not in a classroom with them, but you have to make sure that when you tap into multiple learning styles, yeah. you got to make sure that kids can hear, hear, see, and do yeah. and as much as possible within, a le- within the same lesson. You shouldn't just be like a conversation and a teacher's writing on a board and blah. They should hear it. They should see. They should do. And that's something that you have to consistently do all the time. Mm. And part of, and then thin slicing that to a bit in terms of what does doing mean for kids. That means like using extensions like Nearpod where you can have kids, you can literally collaborate openly with everybody. So let's say for example, you and I, this is part of a Nearpod program is like you yep. can type an answer and put on a sticky note. It goes on a virtual whiteboard. Mm. And now kids can, kids can see each other's answers, see each other's work. You can set up like separate cameras. So if you want to do, you want to give live notes, you can actually give live notes. You just have to like connect. Like if you have like your Zoom on your computer, have a Zoom on your phone, point to Zoom on your phone and you can like take right, notes right, on your right. phone and it goes to your computer. So like, so it's like you're mimicking writing on a board. You have to give mm-hmm. kids opportunity. You have to challenge them at work, give them opportunities to answer a lot of questions. And you got to give them time to talk to each other too. It can't just be, you just running your mouth and droning on because you know kids gonna fall asleep whatever but you give them opportunities to say hey we're gonna go break out into this room you're gonna go to breakout rooms for 10 minutes you're gonna discuss these questions we're gonna come back together and we're gonna discuss and now as a teacher you got to be able to manage that and then also know how to hop in between breakout rooms to ensure that your kids aren't in there talking about the lakers game or whatever right so right so you think about all those different things but it's just making sure that kids are seeing, hearing, and doing. And they got to do that consistently throughout every lesson. And, and they have to have plenty of opportunities for you to check to see if they actually understand what you're doing. You have to tell them what they're going to learn at the beginning. You got to assess it in the middle to make sure they get it right. And then you got to formally assess them at the end. And I think if you do that kind of consistently with like a lot of like variables along the way, you can run a, a virtual lesson that can really help kids learn it could kind of engage them a little bit wow it, it definitely sounds like teachers now have to invest themselves in technology more they're now uh, educators slash technologists and then also even from the different connectivity challenges it even sounds like there's opportunities for improvement from a technological and connectivity standpoint to ensure that teachers are able to facilitate and connect with kids more seamlessly so they're not all over the place. So that's interesting you point that out. And there's definitely room for opportunities to improvement. So for you techies out there that may be listening and you build apps, um, there's an opportunity in the education field. Um, Don't always go for the shiny object trying to be the next Zuckerberg or the next Jack Dorsey or the next Elon Musk. Education needs help, they need innovation. If you can create some technological tools to improve that value chain, uh, from teacher to student, um, the education field needs you. So I appreciate you putting, 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 showing that out there, Manny, and letting the world know that. So with all of that challenges going on with homeschooling and, and stuff, what tips can you provide to parents who are now forced to homeschool 
who are forced to have homeschool environments. Are there any lesson plans available to aid parents or additional tutoring services available to students? I think a couple of things. One, I think, first of all, it starts with the setup. You got to give your kids just like their own little hole or corner where they can work, where they're kind of away from the TV, mm-hmm. you know, maybe away from their phones. Because it, it, it's, it's like, like, like us as adults, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, so it's the same thing as kids. Like, you got to give them, just if you can, give them a, a, a space that is dedicated solely to work, right? Um couple of sites that would always be great um one is Khan Academy Khan Academy is it 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 has like it's 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 the idea of what they call like a flip classroom a flip classroom is like a teacher teaches records a lesson and posts it and the kids could download it watch it on their own speed take notes do examples whatever and that's what Khan Academy basically is I think to me and they have from SAT prep to like first grade math like any and anything in between I think that would be like a go-to um, I think some other tools like IXL, um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, I think, but I think to me, the place will be Khan Academy. I think that is like a foundational place to start where it's basically free and you can kind of run with there. Are also other apps and programs, but a lot of them are connected to schools specifically. Another thing that you can do if you're a parent is make sure you have regular contact with your teachers and make sure that you know what they're doing. And if depending on their age, provide supplementary materials. Like even for me, when my son is in the second grade, like whatever he's working on, we got <laughs> we got workbooks for that. So so once he's finished his homework, like, oh, you're working on handwriting, great. I mean, handwriting without tears. <laughs> you know, here you go. And I think Amazon just has tons of just subject, because I know like Barnes and Nobles and place like a lot of places are closed especially in our neighborhoods, which goes back to social responsibility. Yep. You know, in New York, Scarsdale, I got to go to Scarsdale to go to Barnes and Nobles. Right? Really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, I, but then again, I have the wherewithal to go there and it's only 20 minutes from where I live. Mm-hmm. But I think it's like Amazon has like workbooks on every grade level content area, whatever the case may be, and just find the one that connected. I think the key thing to look at if you're looking for a workbook is Common Core Line. Just want to make sure that the, the, any work that you present to kids at, at home, in addition to work, is Common Core line. So it somewhere along the line, it, the kids are thinking the way that the teachers are asking them to think. But that additional practice, um, Common, you know, Khan Academy, and additional workbooks, I think that in a quiet space to work, like those are like the the key places where those are just key actions that most parents can take. Now, awesome, man. Thanks for sharing all these resources, man. And, um, you know, because I think a lot of parents, you know, for the first time, you know, they having to really, you know, really be in a kid's life with educating them in the class, as far as their subjects in the classroom and making sure they're, you know, not only just reading the data, but they're, uh, you know, internalizing it and they're analyzing and they're understanding it. And, you know, there's different challenges because they're not teachers. They're not trained to be a teacher. They don't know how to necessarily teach their kids. They know how to govern their kids. They know how to care for their kids. They know how to love for their kids. But teaching them specific subjects so that kids can obtain it and, and apply it in the real world, that's something new. So I appreciate you sharing these resources to help the parents out because they definitely, I, I've talked to quite a few people, you know, they're homeschooling and um, they're struggling. So I appreciate you sharing 
those resources. Because I think the one thing that parents underst will understand in a lot of cases is that sometimes kids are naturally resistant to doing work. So there's a different type of pushback that you get when you're at home. Because let's say normally when I'm at home with my kid, it's just kind of like, hey, man, you know, clean up, brush your teeth, you know, wipe the floor. Okay, let's read. Because obviously, oh, the kid's got to read. I'm sorry, yeah. I should have said that. Yeah. They have to read all the day on time. Like depending on whatever grade level they're in, if they're in elementary school, get like small book series that are equivalent to their grade levels. If they're in middle school, get high interest books. And if your kid likes basketball, they should be reading about basketball. Yeah. Like they, if your kid likes computers, make them read about it. And then when they get like to upper middle school, high school, read like current events consistently, get actually like subscribe to a newspaper online. You know, if you're not going to get a physical copy of a newspaper and then do it with them and show them, do it yourself too. Because if you read, then your kids will read, you know? Mm -hmm. so, so I think that's something that I should have said first, because that's the foundation of everything else. But there's a different type of pushback that you get when you ask kids to do work. And that's where a lot of struggle comes in. So I think there's a, a, a more thin slice understanding of what educators actually have to do every day, because yeah part of being a teacher is asking kids to do stuff that they don't feel like doing. Right. Making it appealing. <laughs> and so, yeah. so I think that is, you know, so I think that's, those are things that will be helpful too. Ah, man. No, thanks for sharing all of that information, man. Um, I don't think folks are able to find out just what you shared and the concepts and, and, and ideas and understanding and the theory behind what you just mentioned. So I'm glad you shared that. So as to, to stay in this educational innovation stuff with what's going on, as with any chaos, there's always some sort of opportunity to improve. What are some innovations in the education field that come to mind for you at this moment in time? Learning how to coach teachers remotely. I think that's something, and learn how to coach work with leaders remotely too, and learn how to coach leaders remotely. Learning how to review lesson plans, review professional development sessions, deliver professional development when you're not there, right? Because I think a lot of times as a teacher and as a teacher leader and as a leader of leaders, you you rely on like the one-on-one -on -one connection. And I think, and a lot of times you can, it, it, it emphasizes, the distance emphasizes preparation. Yep. Because you have to engage a leader when you're coaching them. You have to engage a teacher that you're coaching. You have to really be prepared. You're always prepared, but you have to be over-prepared because, you know, you don't have that physical touch. So, like, tw after 20, 25 minutes, they, you know, <laughs> they're staring right. at the wall or whatever. You have, to, you have to really make sure that you are thoroughly planned. And, and I think the innovation there is key. I think the idea of coaching teachers and leaders remotely and working with leaders remotely, it, the idea of using technology, infusing videos, you know, just quite frankly, Zoom, yep. screen shares, breakout rooms, all these things that this time last year, I didn't know what Zoom was. Right. You know, so it's like now I could, oh, let me share my screen with you and let me, let's, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, I think, I think the innovation is learning the new, um, like new, the new sites that teachers are using to assess kids and get data from them. Yep. That's going to influence how you lead and how you work with leaders. Like the idea of knowing what JunoPod is. No, no, no. Knowing how to organize a Google Classroom website, knowing right. how that actually works. You know, and there's things that you can do 
in the physical space once school returns that you can add as adapting from what you get virtually. Like to right. me, like if you get back in the physical space, every teacher needs to drop their work on Google Classrooms anyway. Cause like yeah. a common thing is like, I, I don't know what a makeup work is. Oh, go to Google, our Google Classroom site, click it, download it from there, whatever. Which is simpler than, you know, hold on, I gotta go to the bin yep. and get like worksheets from like three days ago. And it, you know, so like, like there's, there's a lot there. Um, I think, I think that's where the innovation comes in learning those tools and then sharpening how you communicate. You have to really have clarity in your communication. Like for me, like even this year with the staff I work with, like all my communications on one Google doc. Right. They also say it. So it's like, here, click that. There you go. And yeah. There's something else. Like, so every time I send an update to a parent, I have another Google Doc. I just link them all together, just hyperlink them. So it's like, oh, he said this to this parents on Tuesday. Oh, this is the update for us for what was what's happening this week. You don't have to search and find emails. You put everything in one place. Yeah. Like even me coaching teachers, I just, for the teachers I coach and the leaders I work with and coach, like the assistant principals, it's the ops manager and stuff like that. There's just like one development document. I put all your feedback in one place go there you know what i'm saying yeah. so you learn how to have those conversations virtually you learn how to engage people and you learn how to prepare so you can make sure that you maximize your time because you don't have the accountability of like having someone right in your face so they could right. they could do whatever they could be playing a video game for all you know right <laughs> you know what I'm saying? so you have to really lock in and engage with them that's awesome, man. No, it's just lots of opportunities in the education field. And, you know, it sounds like this was all about organization and making sure you maintain coordination, you're maintaining motivation, you're maintaining alertness, all of those things um, in reference to teachers and planning. No, this is good to hear, man. Um, I, I really appreciate you sharing all of these insights, man. It's very helpful. Um, so now we're going to shift into your, you know, a project you're working on right now. Um, so tell us about your in-progress consulting firm, Ubuntu Educational Services, such as what services will your firm be offering to the education industry? I think for me, that the idea of Ubuntu is, again, it goes back to a value. The value is I am, Ubuntu literally means I am because we are, right? So it, it is a collective spirit within this, this, obviously some derived from African communities where like the community is responsible for the individual. Like, and I think for me, the idea of starting a consultant firm is adding, first of all, for me, it's an opportunity for me to kind of help through executive coaching, through executive coaching of teachers and leaders. And then, you know, as we grow, do like, you know, formal school reviews, do formal professional development sessions, things like that. But like the idea, doing interview prep for teachers that, mm -hmm are preparing for jobs because yeah. I've been on the other side of the table. I've, I review people interview and do demo lessons all the time. So right. I can help you prepare for them. You know what I'm saying? Or yeah. we can help you prepare, yeah. like we can executive coach teachers if they don't feel as comfortable with the coaching that they're getting at schools. There've been times throughout my career where, especially when I was a teacher that was good, right. that like, I was like, are right, you fine? we got to worry about these people over here. And I was like, but what about me? Right. Or if, I, or if I was someone earlier in my career who quite frankly struggled and knew it, but didn't 
was just trying to figure out where to go. Right. Like, so you want to, that's something that we offer too. And also the idea of executive coaching leaders yep. and providing guidance, feedback to all components of leadership is something that we're going to offer because again, going back to what I said earlier, leadership is a lonely place yes. and you don't have that peer and you don't have that person that you can you know that, that that's on your staff that you can connect to now some some leaders are fortunate enough to have like dedicated coaches but yep. some don't or some not may not be happy with their coaching and i think for us the idea of ubuntu i am because we are is we, we're bringing that into education the idea is quite simply anybody who we're going to work to improve the skill set and the mindset of anybody that's working to improve the skill set and the mindset of kids. Yeah. So whether it's a teacher that is entering the education field that's looking for a job and wants to help with a demonstration lesson, hey, how does this look like? If I'm a teacher that wants some supplemental coaching, if I'm a leader who needs some executive coaching, how do I run PDs? How do I run good coaching meetings with teachers? How do I deal with difficult staff issues? How do I set adult culture? How do I set a data-driven culture in my school? How do I set a reading culture in my school, especially if you have younger kids? Like those are things that we're gonna we're we're prepared to work with now. Because again, my social responsibility is that this is gonna be done now, right? In addition to what I already do. So I'm not gonna take away from I'm not gonna rob Peter to pay Paul, right? Sure. Yep. But this is something that I'm that that I'm fully capable of doing. But I think as as we grow, it's the idea of like servicing schools, because that's something that I've had a fair amount of good experience with. Mm -hmm. But servicing entire schools, running professional development, training mid level leaders, doing overarching school walkthroughs, school reviews, coming up with action and data plans. I think that's the work that. I mentioned like going to Arkansas and doing some work with some yeah. schools down there. That's literally what I did. Like walking into a couple of schools that wanted to improve mm -hmm. and being able to improve them over a span of six to seven months and training their leaders, training their superintendent, honestly. Yeah. Training, you know, training their teacher leaders who then went and trained their teachers who then went and helped kids grow academically and behaviorally. Like thinking holistically, but I think for, for now, where we launch, hopefully by November 18th, that's yep. kind of a you know, significant date for me. Like that's the time where we're gonna launch and you start working with those individual teachers, individual people that are trying to get into the profession, leaders that yep. wanna grow, teachers that wanna get better at their craft. And then if there's targeted work that could be done in schools in conjunction with what I'm doing already, working something out with that. Yeah. In time, the, the whole every, every time you start, like you when you start one McDonald's, you want to have a chain, right? Yep. So yep. anytime you want to be in a position where you service multiple schools and you're in a position where you can like help schools get better. And I think for me, having led the processes, mm -hmm. it's again that you want to give back to places that want that need to be helped and led. It's just, it's, it's, it's the multiplying effect. You want to sure. be able to yeah. multiply the work that I've been able to lead 
in other places. Because the one thing that I've learned, I've been lucky enough to do some a little bit of travel, whatever. Like there's schools across the world, quite frankly, that Brooklyn, no different than Baltimore, right, no right. different from Boston, that's no different from Charleston, South Carolina, yep. or Little Rock, Arkansas, or Waco, Texas. Like schools across the country, no different from Brixton in, in England. Right. Schools across the country and eventually the world want to get better and right. trying to find how. And I think what what we're going to bet on with Ubuntu Consultant Services is that we can be a part of that change. And that's something that we feel strongly about. And I think for me, that's that like you you have to have a seeking spirit as yeah. an educator that's something so that's part of that like okay who else can i work with like you help people informally all the time that's always kind of yeah. always help people hey i need some advice what about this oh thank you like i think we could do something with that and i think we can do something to formalize that so that's where that's where we want to start yeah. and you know if things work well you grow with your capacity to grow right now that's awesome man i mean all of that is fantastic and is definitely needed um even the coaching piece so i know like right now we live in a time yeah mental health and therapy is important but coaching is also important too i think especially in our community a lot of us were taught to do it ourselves because we didn't have access to these resources and opportunities before so we had to do everything on our own but now into now time today, it's okay to get help if you get stuck. It's okay to get help to get better. You don't have to try to do everything on your own because when you get help, you know, it frees you up to do other things so that way you can continue on your journey. And also you get in the help, get, get other people involved in your life. So I like the concept that you're either going to have executive coaching for teachers to prepare them for interviews and teaching demos. You know, things I'm sure that probably wasn't available even when you were doing a, your teaching demo for teaching jobs. So you're making that available to teachers coming out. And that's extremely important, especially for our community. And we're going to talk about how to get more like black and brown teachers into the education field. But no, what you're offering just from that executive coaching standpoint, um, that's that's going to be gold, man. And I'm glad you're doing this and you're sharing your expertise to the world as well as our community. Yeah, I, it's important because I think in a lot of times, the one thing that comes to mind is that kids can't afford to wait, right? right? And I think we can afford to wait because we have some sort of privilege, right? Like sure. we got multiple degrees. I'm not gonna, if, if I have to leave my job, obviously you don't want to, but I, at the, my next job isn't gonna be like bagging groceries at Key Food, right? right because right. I've, I, I've had, no offense to anybody that does that for a living because sure. we all got to feed our kids. That's all, yeah. But at the same time, like I've had, I've earned quite frankly degrees, but, and I've been lucky enough to have the privilege to be put in a position to earn that, right? right. And I've earned experiences through just quite frankly hard work, but I've been lucky enough to be put in those positions. The one thing that I'm proudest of as being a leader is that, God, at sometimes there are at least nine or 10 people that taught under me that are leaders in some way, shape or form themselves. Mm. And I always tell them that my 
leadership path was quite frankly self-made. Like I went to school at night, drove a little hoopty yep. so I could pay before to pay to go to grad school, mm-hmm. you know, did the internships, worked, worked six days a week, worked on Saturdays, taught multiple grade levels. Like I had literally was just from the bootstraps type stuff. Right. But I, I wanted it. So I did it. I don't think that that's a replicable pathway for everybody. No, I want to make it easier for people. Yep. I want to make it easier for people to be good teachers. I want mm-hmm. it easier for people to be good leaders. I yep. want it to be easier for entering teachers to come into the field and know how to actually do an interview properly and get a good job right. you know, that you want because kids can't afford to wait. That's like right. the, your, your input has to have lead to an output. Yeah. And the output of all that work is I wanna be able to provide, like, again, I am because we are. A kid is because we as educators are, mm. right? That's, that's the idea of Ubuntu, right? I am because we are, right? So the idea is giving, kids can't wait for adults to get good. That's right. You want, I wanna be able to accelerate that process and from, from all the vantage points that I've had within my career, it's an opportunity to, to, to step back, to give back when possible, but at the same time, do it in a way that has a multiplying effect. No, that's awesome. And I, yeah, I just like the fact that you're improving that value chain of that process of educating the kid and you're getting it at the beginning to shorten that cycle. That's awesome, man. So... No, I'm looking forward to seeing great things out of Ubuntu, man. Absolutely. Um, so speaking on that, what can what can be done to get more black and brown teachers in the classroom and to get them to stay in the education field as there's a great deal of attrition that happens, unfortunately, especially for black male teachers? I think a couple of things. Number one, you have to, there's something that's incumbent upon black male, that black teachers is that you can't, a lot of times, and I almost fell into that trap. It's like, it's not who you are, it's what you do with who you are, right? So mm. if you are a black teacher in a school that's predominantly black or brown, whatever you wanna call it, kids are natural BS detectors. So you're gonna get rope if you don't know what you're doing for a little bit because they wanna connect with you. But once they make the determination that you don't know what you're doing, they're going to treat you as if you're invisible. Mm. So it's so kids are they are the best kids are the best evaluators of teachers. So I think if you are a black and brown teacher, the one thing that I wish like when people talked about these, like the social impact of teachers is like, it's not the social impact of black and brown teachers. It's a social impact of good black and brown teachers. Right. So like, so you have to take your craft seriously. You have to understand that your, your value add, you have the responsibility to add to your professional value. So that means you have to practice, you have to study and you have to make sure that you're prepared. And that's something that I learned the hard way. I, I started teaching at 21 years old. I just thought I could just roll up in front of kids. I'm fresh out of school. I'm <laughs> 10 years, I'm like nine years older than y'all. The kids tore me apart because once they figured out that I didn't know what I was doing and I, I, and I wasn't prepared, that's that. But I think 
once that's so that's something that in that individual teachers have to come with regardless of where they are i think there have a couple of things that schools can do number one it's it's important to have like affinity groups it's it would be good to have affinity groups whether formally informally where right. teachers of color can kind of like collaborate and come together not to complain not to just eat lunch together but to understand that you do have a different challenge yeah. like i'm six four, two forty five, whether i like it or not somebody's gonna be scared of me yeah you know what i'm saying and, and it is not gonna feel good what is that like when you walk into a school as a man and if you have some size to you that people automatically assume that one you're good for discipline only to you know, you're, you're automatically gonna get the kids that nobody else can handle because you're the man. Mm -hmm. Three, like the parent, the parental expectations or the fact that in some cases you're fulfilling the societal void. So your voice matters more because mm -hmm. like in some cases you're feeling a father voice. So if you don't call that parent back as quickly as they want you to, they're gonna get extra offended because it's you. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So like, and, no, and that comes with the sense of pressure because if like for me, I remember like when I first went to Bronx Prep, someone met with the Parent Teacher Association at the time. It was like, oh, you gonna pick up our kids and take them to the park on Saturday mornings. I was like, no, I'm not. Because I gotta take my son to the park on Saturday morning. Like That's there has right. to be a line, but like, but I was able to, I was like, I'll go to your kids' games. I'll like involve, as much as I can to see your kids' lives, but that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to educate your kids yep. and to let show them that I care outside, care about them as a whole person. My job is not to pick up your kid every Saturday morning and go get ice cream. I gotta right. do that with my own kid. Right. You know, it's like so like having those groups where you start to flesh out and have those discussions. How do you mm. even interact with your with your peers? And I think again, going back to Livingstone, yeah, I we were trained on that in undergrad. So we knew like that part of the Center for Teaching Excellence is that we had sessions where we talked about some of those things. Mm -hmm. So it became, you know what I'm saying? It was something that we just did and it became something. So you apply that knowledge, but like having those groups where black and brown teachers can really thin slice and understand the unique components of being black and brown on these jobs. Right. And then also, a, co a, a clear career growth pattern. Because a lot of times people leave education because it's like, okay, I've taught for 10 years, now what? Mm -hmm. Now what? Yeah. You know, like, and I think it's incumbent upon the leaders of educators, regardless of color, like you could start here today, but there's, I'm gonna coach you so you're gonna get better at your craft. And eventually you're gonna kind of age out of teaching. Now there's something else to do, or there's something else in addition to. So there's always opportunities to grow and get better. And I think yeah. and a lot of times, as I remember like, like a lot of times for us as, as, as a black male teacher is like, you're the gym teacher, you're the emotional rah-rah guy, you're gonna make the speech that's gonna make everybody whole and get little, you know, little daring to go to class, whatever. Right. And that's sometimes that's just, that's just not your personality, right? You know what I'm saying? but. You, but you have to learn how to fight those assumptions and learn what that looks like. But you also have the responsibility from who leads you to not just put you in positions. Like, and I think a lot of times with black leaders, with black teachers, we're going to get the crappy jobs. We're right. going to get the jobs 
where the, the kids, are, you know, messed, the school's messed up, the school's broke, half the teachers leave every year, and we got to go fix it, be like, the, you know, the miracle man, right? Right. And sometimes that's, and sometimes that can, that can fold people a little bit because it's exceptionally, sure. it's exceptionally difficult. Mm-hmm. And I think having, quite frankly, lived that experience, you understand, part of starting Ubuntu is the idea is you want to pass those lessons on. So like yeah. those trying times that I had when I was working in some of the schools, I can't eliminate them, but I want to mitigate you if you're put in those situations. But going back to the original question, I think the idea is black and brown teachers have to respect the teacher profession and field as a craft. Right. And respect it. You, you're not going to just get over because you're black. That's right. You, you, that's just not going to happen. And kids, kids will walk right. The kids will see through you and walk over you. You have to have, it would be nice if schools and districts have like affinity groups where people of color can kind of come together and thin slice their problems. You got to have clear growth trajectories within, you know, within your schools once you've earned it. And you got to have, and you got to have fair position, fair positioning, positioning where you're not just the automatic problem solver, block sweeper, hey, there's 75 kids hanging out on the corner. Go get Mr. Johnson. He's going to say no. Like, Mm. you can't just do that. And I think that's where a lot of times people get kind of turned off. Right. No, so it it sounds like um, some of the understanding of office politics and corporate politics, some of our black and brown teachers need to understand how that game is played in the education field as well in order to preserve their career and for them to be successful. And I even like the fact that you shared about the kids being BS detectors, you know, with the teachers that also, you know, let these teachers know like, okay, this is, you need to take yourself seriously. And if kids don't see you care, they're not going to care. So I'm glad you was able to reinforce that with us out here, man. And, you know, the education field is, you know, a lot of similarities with the business world. Um, You know, it's just less people but there's a lot of dynamics involved and in, in some hmm. cases, probably a lot more. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, is that as if the, I, a black male teacher is the equivalent to a white woman MBA coach. If you think about it, because you, you are, you are the minority in terms of race and in terms of gender. Right. Yep. So like the MBA is like what? 75% black male. Yep the education field is majority female and depending on where you work, some, most times it's not even females of color. Right. So you have to, and, and, and you have to understand how to navigate those fields where you keep a sense of who you are as a person, mm-hmm. not while still like, the, the idea of being non-threatening is quite frankly insulting, but the idea that you are capable of doing anything that anybody else is doing. And it doesn't matter what you may, you know, type me as just because of what I look like. Mm. I appreciate that. We appreciate you sharing that and totally can relate to it. All right. We just got a couple of questions left, but the next one is about work-life balance. So I wanted to get back to you on that. So how do you manage your work-life balance with your family, career, um, and do you have any helpful tips that you can provide, especially how folks can separate their, prefer- their their professional life and their personal life, as you mentioned earlier? I think 
one, you're not gonna, is, there's no such thing as work-life balance, it's work-life fulfillment, because your life is not gonna be balanced, right? Because balance is like, you know, you spend the most time away from your job sleeping. So the idea is work-life fulfillment. Like if you sleep, let's say if you work a 10 hour day and you got to commute, so that's 11 hours, you only got like three, four hours left being awake, right? <laughs> so so, you did, so that's not balance in itself. But the idea is, is fulfillment. I think a couple of things that I, that, that I do Number one is I schedule, I schedule my time. Like I literally invest an hour every Sunday and I schedule my free time and I schedule my work time. And the first thing that I do every week as I, and I put them together as one, is I schedule two things for myself that have nothing to do with work, at least two. So if it's like, hey, like to watch basketball. I like to watch college football. I like to watch, you know, I'll, I'm a sports guy. So I'm going to make sure that I dedicate something for me and I'm going to schedule it and make sure that I bend my time to that first. Yep. So I'm going to commit to myself to watch a whole game. I'd make sure that I schedule time for family stuff. I'll make sure that like, Hey, we go into the park, you know what I'm saying? Hey, we're going to read books or Hey, like something like you, and you schedule that time in as well too. You want to make sure that like there's time that is dedicated for the things that matter to you. And then you carve out time when possible to text, call, write, whatever people. Mm -hmm. So you don't feel like guilty for working so hard and you don't feel like you're missing out on something. Right. You know what I'm saying? Even for me, like I play music as I'm working or I listen to podcasts as I'm working, especially if I'm working on like an extended assignment. So at least I know what's happening around the world, yeah. like in the background. It's like, so it's not like I just run to school, eat, go to the bathroom, wake up. Right. Like there's, there's some depth to who I am as a person. And sure. I try to maintain yeah. that, you know what I'm saying? Because Ultimately, I'm replaceable at any job that I have, or even with Ubuntu. I'm, right. you, you, you start your consultant services, you get replaced tomorrow, but I'm right. not replaceable for friends, family, loved ones, and to myself. So I have to make sure that I, I water that seed continuously. So then mm -hmm. when I do have to put in the extra hours, or I do have to get up earlier than I want to, or whatever the case may be, I don't feel like I'm losing out as much, you know, and that makes me more apt to doing the work without like regret. And mm. also quite frankly, exercise. Yes. You got to, because I think we're in that position, you know, when you're grinding, you're grinding, you're grinding. And next thing you know, you get a little pain in your chest. Next thing you know, your shirt don't fit anymore. Next thing you know, and then your blood pressure is high, whatever. Yep. It, it, and it's like, you have to take care of yourself. You know, you don't you know, have to be a yogi or anything, but you know, like cut the junk food yep. to a reasonable level, yep. you know, run, do some push-ups, some sit-ups, yep. if your gym is closed, buy some resistance bands, 
you know, you can even do it while you're watching TV, you know, yeah. <laughs> at the same time, like, like do take care of yourself because number one, it makes you a healthier person too. Quite frankly, I get, honestly, I get most of my ideas for stuff that I want to do when I'm working out. Absolutely. Like, I'm like, oh, like even today I was running this morning and there's something I'm going to do for school. I was like, oh, just popped in my head when I was working out. So it's like, when I was running. I mean, yeah. I mean, so those things happen and you just want to make sure that you take care of yourself. So you schedule your time. You, you make sure you prioritize yourself and the people that are closest to you. You make sure you prioritize social outlets and you prioritize time to take care of your body as much as you can. I'm not going to say I look like Arnold Schwarzenegger and nothing like that, but it's like right. you take care of yourself so that you can, like, you, you don't feel ashamed because you can't fit in the clothes that you could fit into three years ago, or you don't have like high blood pressure or whatever. Like, like I had COVID in the spring and when I got it, when I went to the doctor, one thing they said was like, your blood pressure is pretty good. Like my say, yeah, like, like almost an athlete's blood pressure. And I was like, I'm not athlete. She was like, well, you, you must take care of yourself. You must drink a lot of water and do something because your blood pressure is pretty, pretty damn good. I was like, yeah, thank you. Like, and I kept, and, that, and quite frankly, you never know what that can lead to. But I think those are the things that you, you got to take care of yourself and you got to yeah. take care of your mind, your heart, your body. Now that's important, man, especially, you know, um, understanding holistically how exercise fits, how family time fits, because, you know, even myself, you know, I'm sure you at one point got caught up in the rat race, trying to make yeah. as much money as you can, trying to be a part of this, trying to be a part of that. And, you know, you read so many stories about folks, they put time into their craft and they up to wee hours of the morning. But it's like, okay, they do that to get successful, but then how are they maintaining everything else? And these type of stories that you're sharing about your journey and what me and you talk about offline, these are the things that our community needs to understand that we need to do to sustain ourselves. So I'm glad that you were able to share the importance of exercising and eating right and living in moderation, you know, yeah. and, and maintaining a good family balance and friend balance and understanding that you can be replaced by any job or any business you started, but your family and friends is not replaceable. You know, that's something I wish I would have learned in my 20s. And I'm sure you would say the same yeah, thing. I wish I learned too. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, just, yeah, I wish I learned too. Life would have been a lot easier. But I think just going back to something I said earlier, is the difference between what you do and who you are. And I think you have to water both sides. You got to like who you are and what you do sometimes are not compatible. Like, but that's okay. They, mm -hmm. they diametrically opposed, but that makes you a whole person. And that's, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You know, I, I honestly, on Thursday night, I was joking with my staff yesterday. I was, I was Friday. Yeah. Yesterday. I was like, yeah, the giants lost again, but it was like, <laughs> and, and it was funny because a couple of people know I was football. And like for the first minute, so people were like, ah, giants suck. Ah, yeah. They really suck. But it, I'm a whole, I'm a regular guy. Like I, yeah like stuff, like I have interests, you know what I'm saying? And it's like something that sometimes it makes you more relatable as a leader, but it makes yep. me feel better as a human being that I'm not missing out on life. Like I wanna live, right. I don't just wanna exist. And sometimes you feel like when you're in that rat race, you just wanna, you just existing. Yeah. You wake up and it's like February. It's like, dad, it was just like November, like last week, you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, you gotta like live. 
Yeah, man, the Giants, man. It makes me appreciate them Super Bowl championships in 07 and 11 that much more and appreciate Eli, man. But we'll be we're playing hard. We'll, we'll get there, man. Um, yeah. so young team, not a lot of talent. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, eventually, right? But you, but but at least you have the the the, the mindset to actually watch it. You know what I'm saying? Have a hobby, and not just just be like this one track person that's just all about work. Because yeah, work is important, but it's it's not who you are. That's just what you do. Absolutely. You got to have healthy hobbies, you know, and, and even myself, even during COVID, you know, I got into playing chess. You know, I learned how to play chess many years ago, but stopped and I got back into it. And I play a couple of games a night on my phone on the app, man, and I'll be into it, man. It's a, yeah. it's a real good mind game. It's good for meditation. It's good for, you know, just taking your mind away from things. And it's a thinking game. It's strategy, but it's fun. You know, yeah. because you play in the computer and the computer kicks my butt 98% of the time. But I win a couple of times or whatever. But yeah. that's like one of the healthy hobbies that I have now is playing chess and stuff. So, yeah. yeah like one of the it. healthy things I picked up, quite frankly, is just watch a lot of documentaries. Mm-hmm. Like, just again, that's that seeking spirit. And it's just like, oh, what about this? Well, let me watch that. Or have it on in the background when I'm doing something else. Like, yeah. it's just like you're your mind is racing it could get restless and you got to feed it and then you feed it you become a better person absolutely so for those out there man good work-life balance or work-life fulfillment as mr george says you know healthy habits um it's not you know um separate what you do from who you are um you can be replaceable in your jobs but you can't be replaceable with your friends and family you know and um just make sure you understand that so um, the next to last question for you, man, is um, what was the best book you read in the past five years? Um, two, as actually. I'm going to cheat a little bit if you don't mind. Sure. No, go um, ahead, man. One is um, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. Mm-hmm. I think, again, it, it's the baseline for why you do the educational work that you do, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is what happens. This is the 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 script that society lays out for us. And this is how, to me, this, that's that, like, all right, this, so this is why, like, when you don't feel like necessarily doing something for, like, your schools or whatever, it's like, all right, this is why you got to, because you know what's in the background. Yep. The second, which, quite frankly, got me, like, really thinking about being a business owner and doing, and, and, and feeding the entrepreneurial spirit is, is a book called How Rich People Think by Steve Seibold. Mm-hmm. And it, it talked about like how, like, first of all, it, 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 it got me to really think about not putting limitations on what I can do. Right. Like I am capable of doing anything that I put my mind to and my heart into. Two, it really forced me to think about ownership. What does ownership look like of your career? And three, it really forced me to think deeply about what problems can you solve? Hmm. And the idea about businesses is that businesses solve problems. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's literally why the best businesses exist because they solve a problem. So, and it really started to get me thinking about like, what can I do in addition to what I already do Mm -hmm. to solve the problems that I know exist? 
because if you like start a business to like make money, like everybody wants to make money, right? That's like yeah. nobody wants to do nothing for free. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But the idea is that if you do something from the heart and you do something because you love it and you do start a business because you genuinely want, you see a problem, you see a niche and you think that you know that you can fill that niche and add value, you can, you can make more money than you would if you just wanted to just make money. Yeah. Right. So the idea, the one thing that when I'm thinking about a business plan that I developed or services that I developed, I didn't put a price to it yet. Because to me, it's about the clarity of the work. It's yeah. like, oh, and that, and it brought me to like, okay, normally consultant firms serve schools. No, I want to serve schools. I want to serve individual teachers. I want to serve prospective teachers. I want to do these things because yeah. this is what I can do. Because if, if these things happen well, the kids that these adults will touch will get better. Right. And that's literally the whole idea. And the whole idea of Ubuntu is I am, I am because we are. Right. And, and that's literally it. And I, that came from the book. And it's the idea of like, okay, I have this talent. I have this, this experience. I have this drive still. Like, I feel strongly about what I do. And like, how do you, again, the multiplier effect. Right. And I think that's something that that's, that's that next step for me. And I think the multiplier effect or doing it outside of the comfort zone that I've been in where I work, you know, so it's like thinking about those ways where you could challenge yourself. And I think for me, that is something that book drove me to where I am right now, which is like ready to start my own business in addition to serving the kids that I serve and feeling comfortable that I can do both well. Mm. Yeah, I definitely need to get that book. I heard about the new Jim Crow, um, but I definitely need to get the book, How the Rich People Think. I'm into them type of books, you know, The Successful Millionaire Next Door, How to Win, how to win Friends and Influence People, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, all those type of those success books, mental books that get you to shape, shift your mindset. I love them books. So yeah, I'm definitely going to- Yeah, it's, it, 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 he gave the example of Henry Ford. Like Henry Ford, didn't have a doctorate. He had like a third grade education. He had people that had doctors that worked under him. Right. And so it was like, oh, makes sense, right? So, yeah. but I think for me, and that's that next frontier as a professional, like the idea of like whole, doing something that is successful the right way for the right reason. Mm-hmm. Nah, well said, man. So, you know, this, this great interview, all good things have to come to an end, unfortunately. But before you go, man, where can folks find you online, man? Do you have a website? Um, are you on LinkedIn? Are you on Insta? Because, you know, you got folks that are younger. They on Insta or even if Twitter, if you dare. <laughs> no, I, right now, um, my website is under development for for Ubuntu, but that's going to go out with when I launch, I launch the website same day. So I want to make sure like, again, you roll out everything correctly. I'm not going to put out something until I know it's right because it's about quality. Yep. But I'll follow up with what that looks like. LinkedIn, Emmanuel George, Facebook, Emmanuel George. Um, I, I have to, I think that is, that's where I, um, yes, where you can find me. 
Cool. All right, everyone. Well, that wraps up episode four, man. Yo, again, Mr. George, it was a pleasure catching up with you, my fellow Livingstone College alum, fellow New Yorker, man. He's just doing great things out here. You know, I told you guys he's the modern day Joe Clark, man. Um, I love this guy, man. And he just keeps making it happen in the world, man. And I'm, you know, looking forward to Ubuntu making it happen and taking off, man. So for all you guys out there, thanks for tuning in this episode. Thanks again, Mr. George, for gracing us with your presence and your story. And until next time, peace out.